Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's episode is Anchorman 2, which both of us watched pretty much as soon as it opened. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We always talk about uh, films on this show with spoilers in mind, so um, if you haven't seen Anchorman 2, there's no chance we're not going to ruin all the things that happened within minutes of this podcast. So um, if you're interested in seeing the film, do check it out. It is a, a pretty good laugh. And uh, if you're a fan of the first one, it's more of the same. Um, I want to quickly mention, uh, we do recommendations on this podcast as well. Um, Adam Tenor went to our Facebook page and asked us to do Anchorman 2, and here we are. So if you have a film in mind that you think uh, we should cover on Podme If You Can, you can find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podme if you can. Lloyd, the, um, the weight of expectation, nine years yeah. between films. I mean, let's just talk about that and talk about the advertising to start with they were everywhere yeah, in the lead it, up to this film in contrast to the first one which wasn't that big and it kind of I don't want to say flopped at the cinemas but it wasn't that big and it grew into this massive cult film um, and like it, it's such a big cult film to get such a mainstream sort of release for Anchorman 2 much bigger budget and a much bigger well, budget for the marketing campaign especially it's just interesting to see how big this um subject has grown into the vocabulary vocabulary of the norm like everyone quotes from this movie it's become part of you know popular culture it's very very successful and paul rudd and steve carell have become not so much uh, david koshner or koshner um have become bigger stars in the years since so they yeah. all have to take pay cuts you know they're <laughs> they're all getting back-end deals on this film mm. um $50 million budget, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but I'm guessing they covered $50 million on advertising as well. I mean... It's still shot and looks like a, a richer sitcom to me. Because the first one... And I don't want to put down the director, Adam McKay. His background is from Saturday Night Live. Uh, and, it, like, the first Anchorman looked like just a bigger budget a sitcom and was shot in the same style. Like, I don't want to say that's cheap and nasty, but it did suit the the flavour of, of the subject of Anchorman. And this one more or less looked the same to me. <laughs> yeah, I can agree with that. It's it's difficult to see some of the money up on, on uh, screen. Except um, for the big battle at the end. Maybe that's where they drained all the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. But I wanted to open with a theory that um, I read first on reddit.com. Um, and it's from the original poster was Scott Likes Fire, but I'm guessing it could have been posted somewhere else, but that's where I've read it first. So credit to Scott Likes Fire. <laughs> Lloyd, the um, the theory poses that Brick is a time traveler. Right. So uh, you've seen him in Anchorman 2 in that fight scene you mentioned at the end. He has a big ray gun from the future <laughs> that he mentions is a gun from the future. Um, in the same film... He says, remember 10 years from now when you did that thing? And he just starts laughing hysterically in the, in the RV. <laughs> All right? Yep. With me so far? Mm-hmm. Um, he mentions the Ghostbusters line, I ain't afraid no ghost, but the film hasn't come out yet. He says to Kristen Wiig, the love interest, Channy, um, I didn't ask for these powers while he's sort of wooing her and stuff. <laughs> He also tells her he is a 19-year-old man, I guess. (laughs) I'm 19 years old. Um, 
there's somebody posed that he maybe just remembers what the weather was like that day because he's flipping through time or whatever. <laughs> he never actually, you know, that's why he's so good at that. Um, in the first film, he says, years from now, they will tell me I have an IQ of 48, which hasn't happened yet. It's implying, again, he has knowledge of the future. Uh, he says he's rarely late, which makes sense for time travelers. Why would they be late? And he has no idea where he got the grenade in the first fight in the first <laughs> film. He says, I don't know, you know. Um, look, he, I like this theory a lot. I like it because, you know, the idea that time travel has messed up his brain and that he was super smart before. And, yeah, what do you think, Lloyd? Uh, yeah, there's definitely that possibility to the layer, but uh, to the layer of that character and to the film itself. But it, a lot of those jokes could have come from improv. Yes. So it, it's hard to tell if that's a premeditated thing, but yeah, if 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 somebody can read that in the film and an audience viewing it and get more, much more enjoyment from that, then yeah, well credit to you. It reminds me of uh, X Men: The Last Stand. I'm I'm sorry to bring up the film. How um, the online the fans online were talking about I'm the juggernaut bitch, and then eventually that line got put into the film. It was just so popular, <laughs> um, and. It makes me think that they could open Anchorman 3 with Brick in, like, a scene, you know, that just a one-off scene, his super smart Brick getting into a time machine, and then, in, you know, like, there's some kind of tie-in with the film that they could just kind of work it in, mm-hmm. you know? it's It got more ridiculous from film to film, so... <laughs> I mean, I, you know, they could go even further with it, Well, really. Machete 3 is uh, going to be machete in, in Machete in Space... So it just seems to be a trend now with the third one, just put him in space <laughs> or some futuristic element. Wow, I hope you're joking. <laughs> <laughs> what about Machete? Machete? Yeah. No, no, that, that, that's, that's, that's really the third one, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, let's get back to Anchorman. Um, look, I thought I had some problems with the film. Um, obviously, I know it's a film. Obviously, I know it's just for fun. You know, that it doesn't all make sense. But there were holes, and at that two-hour runtime, Lloyd, I don't know when you found yourself looking at your watch, yeah, but for me... the first one went on for 94 minutes. This one went on for two hours. I was constantly looking at my time, uh, at my watch. Yeah, I think one of the disadvantages, because of all of the advertising, they poured all these funny moments into all the TV spots, the trailers. You felt like you'd seen the first and, part of the And there were the some film. that were dropped as well. I was looking out, oh, okay, well can't wait for this scene to happen it wasn't even there like yeah. on the trailers they this guy who's a homosexual goes no i'm gay and he goes oh does that mean you can only come out at night he goes no that's vampires you know i, I don't know if you remember that from the trailer i do i do yeah, yeah that wasn't at all in the movie i actually um later on I'll, I'll talk about i've got a whole bunch of moments that weren't in the um the film that i've I found in the advertising um on tv spots or on the trailers but there's quite a few um it didn't really feel like a continuation from the first film in a lot of ways because yeah. I didn't like that they weren't really friends anymore and they had to regroup. Right. <laughs> it kind of made me feel like the first film wasn't important because they bonded as a news team, news team assemble, you know, like the four of them seemed inseparable at the end of the first film. Sure. And the, then, the first one even ends with what each of them did. Like one, I think, uh, a Brick became one of the... Um, main advisors. Leading advisors, yeah. Yeah, for, for George Bush. But I guess that's well into the future, I guess. <laughs> Maybe he's time-travelled there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, and so at the end of it, you got this feeling that they were going to be all, like, friends forever and whatever, but then they're so distant, they don't even know what happened to each other. Like, Ron Burgundy keeps going, what happened to so-and-so? Like, he doesn't know, and they're, they have to reveal it to him. Like, uh, oh, wait, you, you didn't hear? He's photographing cats now. You yeah. know, you didn't hear? He's apparently dead now. Um, it, it was just like uh, the beginning of Blues Brothers when they're rounding up the gang, you know, getting together and they're all piecing fragments of what they've all done um, since the absence, like he was in prison and everything like that. But I, I like that idea where they're going on the road to unify everyone. <laughs> yeah, for me, for me, I was like, um, I thought that was just treading water. That felt like one of the things that could have been much tighter, you know. Um Funny Harrison Ford, like, uh, I killed four men in Okinawa. <laughs> yes, sir, WW2. I did that two weeks ago. <laughs> um, he was... <laughs> I don't know if you could tell in the fight scene at the end, Lloyd, how he was in front of the green screen. Yeah. That was quite obvious to you as well? Uh, well, I don't know. He was phoning in his performance the whole time, I thought. <laughs> yeah, and I thought it was interesting that, like, he's, he's an on-air talent, right? But he's also in charge enough that he can fire Ron Burgundy. Like, yeah. it seems like a big conflict to me. But anyway, it was a different time. As well, they ruined the brick is dead bit in the trailers and the TV spots. You knew that funeral scene was going to happen, didn't you? Uh, kind of, yeah. Well, I, I didn't believe that he was dead. I just thought they were going to find him another way. Like, you know, maybe they'll go out to see and he fights the shark just the implications from the opening shot where he's running away from the shark but i thought that was going to be around then but yeah i didn't know about the funeral scene it was in the trailer and it was in some of the tv spots as well so a shame like i, I felt like the beginning of the film i'd seen it all you know <laughs> just just by tuning into you know regular television yeah. i wasn't I wasn't seeking it out necessarily um look one of the biggest problems for me was Ron Burgundy's kid, Walter. Oh, he was awful. He, he awful. Was, every single scene felt worse than the last. Two things you just never work with, animals and kids, you know? It's just voodoo on a film, and this is a great example of that. Other than Baxter, because everyone loves Baxter, it's a great dog, but the kid was just so awful. Just quickly on Baxter, not enough scenes where he talked to Baxter. <laughs> the opening in Anchorman where he says, you ate the whole wheel of cheese is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And you could have used a couple or even one scene where he was discussing anything with Baxter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, look, Walter Burgundy uh, did not have a great part in this film. Um, terrible acting. Like, he's a kid, I get that. He's still learning, but it just felt like, again, that scene in... Um, Wayne's World where he's like is this really the best we could do I mean I know it's a small <laughs> part but <laughs> um, however I thought Greg Kinnear was pretty funny yeah and I liked the scenes with him and he grew on me obviously the you know scenes where he's saying you're a psychic you know <laughs> and it like, sort of pays off nicely I like it how he stops the axe and the battle scene blows it up and you can see him kind of floating <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was, was awesome. great like I was, I just thought it was kind of a funny running gag that he's like dodging his punches and stuff, but then to pay it off like that was really great. Yeah. I, I wanted this film to have more setups and payoffs. Yeah, well, 
I love the first Anchorman, and I I hated like my experience of Anchorman one when I first saw it. I hated. I thought this is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. And over time, I watched it with friends, and I I just fell in love with the movie. The lines resonated with me. And the greatest thing about Anchorman one, every time I see it, I see something new. Whether it's a character or an actor doing something in the background or a line I never paid attention to, like every viewing of that movie, I see something new, and I, I think it's just a really magical comedy i think they just got lucky with it they got this great team great characters they used a lot of improvisation and they just out came this really wonderful 94 minute movie so i i want to say the best thing about anchorman is the randomness of improv and the characters so i like the randomness in anchorman 2 the best like the like when he tries to hang himself in the opening and he and um, it, it completely fails, and that guy runs in. Um, to, he goes, "Oh my gosh, what happened? I tried to hang myself." And you know, and he's like, "Why are you try? Why are you saying it like you're you're, you're lying?" I'm not sure. <laughs> I think that's all improv and random, and that's what I love about it. So I loved all those elements in Anchorman Two that was random and obviously improvised. Absolutely. <clears throat> the um, The hanging scene was was funny, just the way you did that performance, but. <laughs> To have a character get into a suicide attempt so early into the film, like, he gave up after very little fighting. <laughs> For me, I was like, oh boy, where are they going? Like, how are they coming back from this? Is he going to be trying to kill... Like, we can talk about the blindness in a minute, but he doesn't even try and kill himself when he goes blind and his life is ruined. <laughs> yeah. you know? He tries to kill himself when he loses his job at SeaWorld. <laughs> yeah, there were some great gags there with the blind when he when he was blind and he keeps going for for the last time i am blind you know all that was great but i thought that was when the film really was going downhill the lighthouse sequence when he moves the light yeah i thought oh no (laughs) that's when i found myself looking at my watch i was like oh my gosh how much longer this have taken a real detraction from yeah and then i'm going oh please not the kid there the kid's there and they're feeding a shark or something i'm like oh no (laughs) when um just just on the Greg Kinnear bit, one of my funniest like laughs in the cinema was when uh, he goes "fuck you" under his breath. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Kinnear, <laughs> everyone just lost it laughing. <laughs> that was really good. And what about the Australian character? Um, I guess he's a parody of the owner of Fox, uh, Murdoch or um, yeah. Packer, one yeah. of the two, and a, a bit of Richard Branson in there with the airlines and things like that. And he goes, oh, none of you can understand me, and Brick just starts yelling, like as yeah. a, a, his in, a, impression of an Australian accent. Ah, you know, everyone lost in the cinema where I was at. I saw it with uh, a really packed audience as well. Mine was, mine was fairly packed as well, but it was sort of late afternoon before early evening sessions. Um, that bit was in the trailers, though, in the TV spots. Like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, the Josh Lawson stuff. Uh, Josh yeah. Lawson's the actor who plays that part of, uh, what is it, Ketch, Ketch Williams or Ketch? Yeah, something like that. Ketch, Ketch something or Kench something. <laughs> Can't recall. Um, the Kench Allenby, I think. Allenby, that's it. Um Look, I had a little gripe with this film where he can't control the volume of his voice, which obviously is from Austin Powers. If anyone's seen Austin <laughs> Powers through the cryogenic uh, unfreezing process, uh, he can't control the volume of his voice and he has no inner monologue. So he just says all these inappropriate <laughs> stuff that felt like it was lifted directly um, from that, which later on when he's going black, black, 
constantly made me think of when he was saying mole constantly he couldn't stop <laughs> in austin powers i had to say it otherwise i'd, I'd lose oxygen to my brain <laughs> yeah um so like i i couldn't help but feel like some of it had been done before obviously like you say um with more viewings because we've seen it once with more viewings we're going to find lots more jokes and find things more amusing. And, and those kind of details, like you said, about the first film that sort of make you like it more. Yeah. Um, did you think the sequence where he goes to have dinner with her family and it's, you know, he says all the, the black lines yeah, that yeah. are offensive. Um, did you find that just kind of a dead end? Yeah, like-, like that joke has been done a million times. Uh, you know, where a white guy, quote unquote, um, does a lot of uh, uh, street uh, lingo to try to blend in, and the the you know, it's just and and it's inappropriate and everything. I just felt like that joke's been done over and over again. So it's just like, oh, I have to watch three to five minutes of this. <laughs> like, I think this movie needed forty minutes to be cut, and a few skits to like a few subplots they could have severed, and a few skits they could have severed, and that was one of them. Yeah, well, it just felt like a dead end. Like, let's have this dinner scene and then let's never address it again. Yeah. And it's just a quick random... Lots of random scenes like that, mm. um, which could have been better. Um, the thing is, I think the two characters who lost out most on this were Champ Kind and Brian Fantana. Because Brick got a love story, got a yeah. really interesting subplot, a lot more screen time. Obviously, the whole thing's about Ron Burgundy. But, like, Champ's part... He was supposed to, like, not know much about sports. Yeah. And that was supposed to be a running joke that, you know, when people ask him about whatever sport, he doesn't really understand references and touchdowns and doesn't know what sport has what. Yeah. And so I feel like they could have had a few more lines for him and a bit more of that, you know. (laughs) Now, Brian Fantana, what was his, you know, subplot? What was he doing in that film? See yeah, if you can sum it up for me. It, it's I don't know. It seemed like he went sort of downhill going with um, Ron Burgundy because he had such a successful. You know, he seemed like life was good for him, and then he decided to go with Ron for that um, job. And uh, I don't want to say he went downhill, but it definitely took a different direction. <laughs> what do you think? I think I mean, look, Brian Fantana is hilarious for Sex Panther and <laughs> yeah. for. Um, that condom scene in this new film. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was funny when he said, you know, the f- photographing pussies and he's talking about cats and spelling the alphabet stuff. That was hilarious. But <laughs> the Sex Panther cologne explosion was a nice payoff to fans. Yeah. And and the condoms, there's like an armadillo one. There's like a <laughs> denim one that looks cooler each time you wash it. And I thought it would have been funny to have a condom that works 60% of the time. <laughs> But um, he did mention that because of that condom scene that um, he had several illegitimate children. (laughs) Now, I thought it would have been funny to have several awkward encounters with illegitimate kids (laughs) for Brian Fantano. Like, it was a running gag that people kept coming up to him being like, you're his father or something, you know, just in rent. Like, he just felt like he had nothing to do. All the subplots with Brian Fantano must have been cut. They're... Look, he comes up with that Koala Airlines story that's going to be damaging and they don't run it. And Ron Burgundy says, we're not running it, right? Yeah. Wouldn't it have made more sense for them to have run the story? Isn't that more powerful rather than just saying, 
Koala Airlines sucks at the end of his. <laughs> I guess for brevity, um, I think that was a better choice just to go, by, by the way, Koala Airlines sucks. <laughs> but what? yeah, I guess running the story would have um, paid off. Well, yeah, it didn't pay off things. That's the problem with this film is that I was like looking for, you know, conclusions to these threads. Maybe Brian Fantana's story could have been how he wanted to be a credible journalist, you know. Um, maybe Panda Watch had made him a joke and he was like, hey, aren't you Panda Watch? And everyone was making fun of him. Then you have him wanting to do a serious story <clears throat> and the Koala Airlines one becomes that story. Yeah. He barely did anything. He had that tiny bit where he was talking about, I don't know, the best vaginas or breasts or something. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what it was. And um, that was about it. Like, there was a scene that was cut where he was walking down the street and uh, some New Yorker shoves him over and stuff like that. So there were reported scenes. There was also a bit where he's outside and he goes, my special investigation on crack. <laughs> you know, so they didn't just smoke it in the studio. There was like a whole nother yeah. part to that. So I felt like he was wasted in this whole movie. I feel like he hit the cutting room floor the hardest, Brian Fantana. Sure, yeah. But then there were things that should have probably hit the cutting room floor, like they all got perms done. <laughs> they were like, let's go get perms, and then they all jump in the air, and then it shows them walking, and then that's the end of that. Well, it's like when they bought suits in the first one. Let's go suit, suit shopping, and it was on their way to the to suits. The they, yeah, they ran yeah. into the fight. <laughs> but well, nothing the, like that happened. Well, the fight <laughs> never really paid off as well in the first one. I think that was, <laughs> that's one of the best jokes about it. It's just they introduce these random things and... There's just no um, conclusion to any of it. I think um, I think a few little things like that could have been cut. The yeah. fight scene, having the fight scene as the big conclusion to this one is is something I really enjoyed. Um, I thought it nodded to the first film nicely, and yeah. though everyone was expecting it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I like the inclusion of Dorothy Van too, because yeah. that's one of my favorite jokes. Was when he goes. Um, Dorothy Mantooth is a saint, you know, and he's really fired <laughs> up about his mum. Yeah. And you're just like, what? Just this huge backstory there that they just touch, touch on. <laughs> and then this film, I think they said she was sexually active till the day she died. Yeah. <laughs> and she introduced uh, stripping to the mainstream audience or something. <laughs> Pole dancing, maybe it was. <clears throat> Look, Brick's line, there's a black man who follows me around all day. Yeah. It's cloudy. He goes home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the audience was in hysterics of that scene. It was fantastic. <laughs> I read um, Ron Burgundy's, uh, the novel that came out in the lead up to the film. Oh, no. um, <laughs> it's called uh, something like Drop Me Off at the Top uh, and uh, My Stay Classy Life or Staying Classy with Ron Burgundy, something like that. Yeah. Um, and there was a whole bit about how he met all of the news team, which was funny. Oh, okay. There was also... Uh, it's a little bit like a prequel like that but um, there was also like a lot of I Love America stuff yeah and um, that really led in nicely to his new sort of sign off line yeah. the whole like you know have an American night yeah. you know <laughs> I Love America stuff which which you know it was okay um, everyone would have liked to have heard him say stay classy more I, I love the element that they used in this uh, Anchorman 2 is what they touch on journalism and where it fell apart because arguably journalism went to hell when advertising came in and generally mainstream 
television discourse has gone downhill since journalism by Edward Morrow uh, was around and they really asked hard-hitting questions and really reported authentic news. And Anchorman 2 touches on the fact that these guys are the ones who change news to, to d- dumb it down, just give uh, Americans what they want to hear. And I love how they put that element in this. I thought that was a really one of the big pillars of this film. Yeah, definitely. Um, it makes me wonder about a third one and like where it could go from there yeah. with these, you know the way journalism has gone um sensationalizing the car chase and stuff was all you know obviously we're used to it we see that sort of thing all the time but like it is something that (laughs) i love the voice over just to emphasize to us back you might think this is you know uh you know normal viewing but back then a car chase (laughs) was big news yeah the the voiceover is a great tool to put things in perspective adds a frame to the whole thing and it's strange in the first one the the people's voiceover how that comes in and out because Veronica's has a slight voiceover and it's only for one scene and yep. it's so when it when it enters it's so strange it's like wow where did that come from it's like they added in when ah uh, we let's not do that again <laughs> yeah i think they just managed to have enough weird elements and everything in the first one but i don't know it felt like it felt different this time. Yeah. I don't know. Don't think it worked. And I do think the runtime was part of it. Yeah, the the runtime's what it just overstayed its welcome. Like I love these characters. I love all the lines that come out of this. But you know, you gotta be um merciless when it comes to the um the the editing. You just gotta cut, 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 cut. And I would have cut out the whole lighthouse sequence. I think that just went on for too long and really weird. Just got really weird. <laughs> Well, Judd Apatow was quoted somewhere as saying that he had a four-hour cut, which oh. meant two hours of deleted scenes, wow. which means another Wake Up Ron Burgundy. Um, have you seen that one? Uh, I've, the bank robbery and all that subplot? Yeah, yeah I, I've seen fragments of it. I didn't think it, it was as good as the movie. <laughs> oh, you can see where all the pieces would sort of fall together within Anchorman and like really extend that right out. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what they cut out of this one just as a kind of comparison to see if you know if it would would, could have been made better um let's talk about that lighthouse stuff and and the blindness twist now did you know who the actor who played the doctor was no me me neither but he seemed to get a lot of screen time as if he was yeah i I know exactly what you mean yeah yeah it was like yeah anyway um i am a blind look it took a long time to sort of get through that sequence and the funniest part of it was when he fell and that woman said don't you die in front of us <laughs> don't you die in front of us yeah. oh, that was that was inspired i loved that line um i love it how serious she played it as well <laughs> yes <laughs> and it's such a like aggressive like yeah. <laughs> aggressive yeah request oh man that was fantastic <laughs> look he um he he drinks ketchup and thinks it's a <laughs> that, that's drink. what that's probably my favorite of the whole lighthouse sequence was that yeah. one because yeah you would have noticed it after two or three gulps you know? <laughs> yeah. didn't you hear me i'm blind <laughs> look for me the lighthouse sequence did something which i wasn't expecting and that was 
It made Christina Applegate's character, Veronica Corningstone, very unlikable. She nursed him back to health, which was nice, but then yeah. not letting him hear those messages yeah. from the doctor. <laughs> that was strange. It almost makes her his enemy. She you know? wouldn't do that, though. Like, no, no. The character felt- wouldn't do that. <laughs> It didn't fit. Like, she knows he wants to be an anchor, and though he's competition for her, they're, like, ultimately, that's his dream, and she would support it if she loved him, kind of thing. But for her hiding the the <laughs> messages, it just... It, it never paid off. And the other thing is, jumping to the end quickly, can you recall whether or not Veronica and Ron were back together? Uh, I... Th- uh, all I can think of is the marriage sequence, but that was between Brick and his girl. Channy, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's it. I thought there should have been a scene where they defined that they got back together or they didn't, and that was okay. Yeah. But they were just open-ended. Like, again, no payoff. I needed I needed to know at the end, are we, like, putting those two characters together now? Like, because they had that fight, and he was, like, trying to drive away when he was blind, and he was like, for God's sake, will you call me a cab? Yeah. I'm blind. That was all off screen. That was great. <laughs> yeah, so, like, it made her very unlikable, and, yeah. Did they get back together? I mean, we can assume so, because they're both at the wedding, but, <laughs> like, he made it to the recital. That was more about his son yeah. than than her. It's so um, weird, because we, me and you, and I think a lot of people in my audience and your audience, hated the kid, so it's yeah. just so hard for us to like that storyline. Like, if you had a really good kid, like, one of the best kids' actors who didn't really graduate, not a lot of them do, was the kid from The Sixth Sense, and very rare you get a kid of that quality who could pull it off, and I don't know if you'd even bother trying to find one that's really good for a, a movie like Anchorman 2, but because the kid was so unlikable, you just... I, I don't know about you, but I hated that whole subplot. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. It felt it overstayed its welcome. I yeah. was sick of that kid. And I, I liked the bit where Ron Burgundy's hanging out with Walter, and he's asleep, and then his, the kid says something, and he goes, what? <laughs> just wakes himself up. <laughs> That was about what, all I liked about it. What like, got the biggest laughs in your audience? Um, people did laugh quite a bit at the big um, uh, fight sequence, but I think Brick's lines got the biggest laugh where he wow, was saying yeah, things Brick like... Wow, yeah, Brick seems to steal the show, doesn't he? He did, yeah. Um, where he says, uh, I ain't afraid no ghost got a nice laugh. When he <laughs> says, I'm wearing two pairs of pants. The, the black man following me around. The, she's my aunt. You know, just like... <laughs> The little random bits he would sort of throw in seem to get the biggest laughs. I like when the truck, um, like he's going on about cruise control, and then the truck does a, you know, rolls over on the road, and the scorpion bites him the ball. Like, I saw that in the trailers, and I think most people did, so I knew what was coming. But for some reason, that got the biggest laughs and the biggest reaction out of me and my audience. So I thought that was pretty fantastic. <laughs> that, for me, for my audience, no. That, no, wow. Um, All right. Yeah, that uh, whole RV sequence, I think it had been seen too much. Oh, okay. What, we, d- what about no when the really bowling reacted. balls uh, hit, hit him, like, on the head and on the chest? Yeah, that's in the trailer. Oh, yeah. that's all in the trailer? Okay. I, yeah. I remember the scorpion and the hot... Um, uh, the chips, Drink, yeah. The hot whatever it was, um, yeah, got coming on his face. I remember that in the trailer. I didn't remember the bowling balls. Yeah, no, it was just, there, just yeah. their preparation because they could see it coming, and then they just have to accept that they're going to get hit by the ball. Oh, I thought it was so funny. <laughs> I 
Um, I want to talk about Kristen Wiig as Channy and uh, the brick love interest and love story. Um, look, this reminded me a bit of Big Bang Theory, how they gave Shelton Cooper uh, an equivalent to be in love with. And Hangover 3, which we've covered on this um, podcast before, um, just quickly, next 30 seconds will be spoilers for Hangover 3 if you want to see it, um, how it ends in their wedding and uh, the Hangover 3 they gave Zach Galifianakis the love interest um, who's so similar to him, you know. Um, giving Brick Channy was, you know, obviously complimenting him. Um, but it felt like a bit like it had been done before. Yeah, you know? I, I honestly didn't like that subplot at all. I prefer okay. I prefer um, Brick to be single and, and strange rather than having another Brick, you know what I mean? It's just, oh, gosh. Well, I, f- I felt like they missed an opportunity where... They could have explained to Brick what a date is through a song. Where they could <laughs> yeah, said, yeah. Well, Brick, it's it's kind of like, and then sung something else together. You know, <laughs> having that original song about Doby the shark was interesting. Like, <laughs> just random enough to be funny, but again, I don't think it's going to be as memorable as Afternoon no, Delight. No, you're absolutely right. I like those laughs that they that they do. Um, I think it happened when they when they meet up with um, uh, Brian Fantana um, and then they just all laugh. I can't remember what they said, um, but they do this hard laugh <laughs> and then they, then it just sort of resets itself. They yeah. did it as well after the truck falls over. Well, that was the thing. They all just laugh and then the scene just cuts. That's one of the big sequences. They got such a massive reaction. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird edit. That's I love really it. jarring, wasn't it? <laughs> It was very jarring, but I think that's its strength. <laughs> yeah, no, that made it funny, yeah. Um, just to quickly jump ahead, oh, Brick had some terrific physical jokes when he, like, had heard his hand hitting Ron when Brian Fantana punched him. <laughs> uh, like, and he was shaking his hand as if that's the thing we we're all doing. <laughs> yeah. And when he, when he walks up to Channy and he pretends to have a coffee and to check his watch and stuff, like... All of that physical comedy stuff, Steve Carell did perfectly. You better I get him every... a balloon. <laughs> yeah, you better get him a balloon. <laughs> yeah. And the other balloon joke where Ron gets hit in the nuts and he's like, you sound like a balloon, man. He's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh, you knocked him into the fifth grade. <laughs> yeah, that stuff was good. Look, I want to talk about the very last shot of the film first. Um, with the shark, Dobie, how he swims out to see it and then... It tries to bite him and Baxter saves him. Yeah. Uh, and then it's got him kind of backstroking back towards the wedding sequence. Yeah. For that to be the very last shot of this film, I was very disappointed. That felt like a really flat fade to black. That felt like not really an ending at all. Like, I was expecting to see more um, in the credits. Yeah. Um, Just have them reading the news or something, you know. Like him you know, all the voiceover saying something at the end yeah. to make the film make more sense you know it just felt like a really weird ending like maybe we could have seen Brick going on his honeymoon and then Ron saying something to the news team or something <laughs> just just nothing it was that's the most nothing kind of ending shot I don't know I've uh, made a list Lloyd of missed opportunities in this film okay. that I thought I would just go through and this is you know based on the first film and things that I wanted to see in the second film but but didn't see enough of. Uh, I've written giving Brian Fantana several awkward encounters with illegitimate chi- uh, children, yep. which I've mentioned. More more talking Baxter scenes, which I've mentioned. A song where they explained to, explained to Brick what a date is, which I've mentioned. 
Um, I I love from the first film how he says, I don't really understand the expression, you know, about when in Rome. <laughs> so I thought the Big Apple could have been that expression for this film where he doesn't really understand why it's called the Big Apple yeah. and he keeps coming up with different reasons. Like that, there's an apple tree on every corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe he could have had that as a running joke in this film. Like, they didn't really have enough stupid Ron Burgundy, I guess. Uh, you know, he gets his shirt off, he's got to sculpt his guns. There was just... <laughs> there could have been more. Another example is when he's um, making out with his boss and Jack Lame comes in and uh, he could have had another awkward erection episode when he's <laughs> yeah, pressed up against the glass. Yeah, I was expecting glass. something like that, yeah. Yeah, I felt like it just got, like, yeah, left. <laughs> I love it. He goes, is that your foot on my crotch? She goes, no. Oh, it's my hand. <laughs> Definitely. And that was in the trailer, so that was ruined. Oh, really? Damn it. Yeah. I thought I saw all the trailers for this. <laughs> uh, I guess you haven't. <laughs> um... I like the parts of your face that are covered in skin. Do you remember that line from the trailer? No. That's what uh, Kristen Wiig says to Steve Carell in the trailer, like Channy meeting Brick for the first time. She says, I like the parts of your face that are covered in skin, which is really funny. (laughs) And they've replaced that line with, I like the space between your head and your body, which is not as funny. (laughs) One of the other things about this film is the... The massive fight scene. Obviously, Will Smith, Liam Neeson, Jim Carrey, etc. There's heaps of cameos here. Yeah, it's huge. Um, But in the first film, you saw things like Tim Robbins cut off the arm of Luke Wilson. You know, Mm -hmm. they were interacting with each other. But there weren't really as many shots of, like, Will Smith sword fighting with Liam Neeson. Or, you know, Tina Fey going to get Sacha Baron Cohen or anything like that. They didn't interact. It felt like all of those things were filmed on different days. And everyone else was like a body double. We yep. mentioned Harrison Ford was like via green screen. It felt like that was, you know, it was all editing that was letting us know those people were there together. Yeah. Um, if they'd had a few more shots of like Kanye sword fighting with uh, Marion Cotillard or something, you know, just a few more like quick struggling shots yeah. where they prove the two of them were there at the same time, I felt like that was necessary. But um, they had that really far away shot that just showed sort of body doubles sort of standing in a big circle. Mm-hmm. Another missed opportunity was Brick falling over at the beginning of that fight, like in the first film. Who yeah. <laughs> did Somebody shoot Brick with an arrow and he just turns and shoots the futuristic gun and blows yeah. up the whole building. That was fantastic. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> um, quickly speaking about body doubles... That ice skating body double for Ron Burgundy was terrible. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I like, think it uh, was supposed to be pretty bad. <laughs> oh, well that, well, that came across. <laughs> but it was sort of so bad that I took me out of the film oh, for a minute. Sure, yeah. You know? Um, couldn't they have got whoever did Blades of Glory for Will Ferrell, <laughs> like his body double in? Just Yeah, felt like a missed opportunity there. Where was uh, Tim Robbins and um, I suppose only one from San Diego came up, but I would have loved to have seen Tim Robbins and uh, uh, Zoolander. Jeez, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller in there as well, because one of my favourite lines of... There's so many favourite lines from Anchorman 1 was when Tim Robbins goes, no commercials, no mercy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Look, uh, the biggest thing that was missing... Oh, quickly, Kirsten Dunst is 
the actress who plays the horn blowing yep. siren to start the battle i thought she's probably too good for this what is she doing <laughs> in that scene that was really unnecessary but anyway yeah. <laughs> um the biggest problem was no bloopers no bloopers in the credits oh no yeah bloopers yeah having a blooper reel would have made that so much better an ending rather than just having that fade to black over the the credits yeah um you know there are a lot of bloopers i mean <laughs> this the nature of this film is that people make each other laugh or, or we play to excerpts see of, of Ron Burgundy. You know how Will Ferrell was playing himself just around the world promoting the film or at interviews? Yes. They could have played excerpts of that because they, they, they were fantastic. The, some of them were funnier than scenes from the movie, you know. Would have involved a lot of getting permission for that, but yeah. Yeah, well, they could have easily done. done it. Yeah, like that's that's one of the things uh, Will Ferrell's such a genius of and all of them. Like, I reckon if you met them and they were just playing that character, they can rift lines and it would just be so hilarious. Like, they've just created fantastic characters. In the book, he um, has a chapter about how he made love to Bruce Lee a couple of nights before his death. <laughs> And he talked about that on The Project, an Australian show with Ray Martin, who was on The Project that night. And uh, it was really funny, but it, it was even funnier because I'd read the the book. <laughs> um, yeah, look, no blooper reel, and the post credit scene wasn't worth waiting for. Did you see that one? No. Right at the end of the first film, you've seen they're, they're walking and he says, we are good friends, sharing a laugh. <laughs> you seen that one? Uh, yep. Okay, so they had a similar very end of the credits scene where they're sitting at the desk and, and Ron's brainstorming about, all right, we've got to get some ideas to beat Jack Lime, right? So, yeah. And then Brick goes underneath the table to eat a cookie and he stares at the audience through the, um, the camera, like straight down the barrel of the camera, and he starts chewing his cookie really quickly and smiling. Oh. And that was it. That's it? Yeah, that was it. Oh. Like it felt like wasted opportunities <laughs> yeah look um that gay guy asking a bunch of questions from the trailer was missing they um there's a couple of quick shots that show it looks what looks like a dance number mm -hmm. um which looked like it was missing very choreographed kind of shots these are in trailers two and three on youtube they're very easy to find there's a shot of ron wearing a sombrero and eating an apple yeah Brian Fantana gets pushed over in the streets, as I mentioned, does an expose on crack. Um, and he also says, uh, bring on the fun bags in a story about silicone implants. <laughs> so he was doing more reporting, you know, than we got to see. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Drake's cameo was pretty funny, just quietly, um, right at the beginning of the film. Which saying Drake? He, he said... Um, to veronica corningstone like damn you're like the loch ness you're mysterious <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, do you remember the rest of that line i can't remember oh, i can't remember no yeah there was a, a ton of them i think he said tony danza's scrotum and by the hymen of olivia newton john <laughs> just <laughs> do you think there'll be as many funny lines or as remembered as anchorman one do you think anchorman two has earned that i think it's it's earned it but i think it's going to be one of those things that it's going to be more diehard fans than yeah like it's not going to be as popular it seems impossible to be as popular and it's 
it's one of the things where they're hoping everyone goes and watches it two or three times at the cinema to get all these lines. Yeah. Well, you know? uh, like with Anchorman 1, it grew a cult status over time. We don't know yet if Anchorman 2 will will do that, but I, I personally don't feel it will. Like, nothing will hurt Anchorman 1. That, that That's going to be a classic, no doubt. But Anchorman 2, I just don't think, will be as good. It didn't kill Anchorman 1 like what The Matrix 2 did to Matrix 1. No way in hell. But I, I just don't think it'll be as big. It wasn't as tight a script. I felt like the first one had a, had a journey, we went on it, and things tied up. But when... Yeah. Like, for example, the lighthouse stuff where he goes blind. The blindness didn't pay off at all. He learned to use his senses and stuff, and there was no reason for that. Like, (laughs) there should have been a sequence or something where, you know, the lights went out and he had to... He was blind again and he had to do something in the dark. Yeah, no, that's a good point, yeah. You know, it, it felt like they introduced so many things in this film that they couldn't possibly, you know, I guess tie up loose ends is the easiest way to say it. And... Look, one other thing I think they missed out on, I'll just say one more. Fred Willard, who played the owner of the San Diego um, station in the first film, yep. he's the one who talked before Brick at the funeral. And, you know. Yep. You know the guy? Yep. I wanted to hear an update about his son. Like, have a scene <laughs> where, where he was on the phone or there was, like, a newspaper article or something. Something you know, that nodded you know to the first film. Are. No, of course not. Uh, <laughs> system areas <laughs> we've all seen our fair share of pornography yeah. oh you haven't okay my mistake i'm sorry about that. <laughs> like i would have enjoyed seeing a few more nods to the first film i think back to the future 2 for example is so great and compliments back to future 1 because he goes back through you know the same sequence and relives it again and there's so many nods to the first film you remember everything you loved about the first film because you relive it and for this one, I feel like if they just nodded to the first film a few more times and said, we know you love the first film, that's why we made the second film. Yeah. This is for all the fans. This is for you. I think we all would have embraced this so much more. Sure. For me, I think the weight of expectation hurt it. I think, um, yeah, the saturation of advertising hurt it a bit yeah, more. But, yeah, absolutely. But I think we should uh, finish this podcast by talking about Anchorman 3, Lloyd, which seems inevitable, doesn't it? Yeah, might as well. Um, I think they made a lot of money with Anchorman 2. I haven't got the stats up, but I wouldn't be surprised with how much they invested in the marketing if they definitely got it back. And yeah, you might as well. If you're making this kind of money, might as well do a third one. That's the thing. And, and it opened big, and uh, now The Hobbit is... The Hobbit 2 Desolation of Smog is um, apparently contending it for our box office glory. But um, in the lead up to Boxing Day, we'll see a whole bunch of different films coming out. Secret Life of Walter Mitty and among others, you know, it's going to be a new kind of saturated market. So Anchorman's trying to get that pre-Christmas rush, I yeah. guess. Look, uh, I enjoyed it. As I said, I assume there'll be a third one, and I'd love to see if they're going to go even more out there and crazy. I'd love to see a time-traveling one with Brick (laughs) jumping around because then you can address uh, Walter Burgundy, who is obviously named for Walter Cronkite. They could do it, focus it on the 80s now. Like, they've they've done the 70s twice now, pretty much. Anchorman, Anchorman 1 and Anchorman 2. Maybe they could play with the 80s theme a lot more. 
like um, yep. introduced to Michael Jackson, the Ghostbusters, the Blues Brothers, the Back to the Future, you know, or, or Eddie Murphy, and all those elements they can really play on. I think it would be fantastic. Do you know what I'd like to see if they do that is um, VHS comes in and it's like <laughs> something that people would rather watch and yeah, maybe absolutely all the eighties kind of stuff like they bring in Ataris and things that are taking away eyeballs from what they're doing <laughs> but I, i'd like to see if they're going to bring walter burgundy back i'd like to see him more grown up mm-hmm. you know not as a child like that so you know whether they do this film in 10 years or five years or whatever anchorman 3 i'd like to see you know some time has passed and we don't have that child actor um if he's featured at all and look it seems inevitable they'll give ron burgundy another love interest it's apart from Veronica Corning, just Corningstone. so weird. I can't picture any editor editing this movie and then looking at the takes of the kid actor and just going, "Right, let's <laughs> add this scene in." You know, I just can't imagine them going, "Yeah, all right, let's use this." <laughs> it's yeah. It was so distracting. You know, it was just like, "Oh my gosh!" It's as if somebody's standing up in front of you in the movie and yelling. It just completely takes it takes you out of it. I would love to read the test audience's comment cards and just be a fly on the wall during that process where they just decided what to keep and what to remove. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's his name? Edgar Wright, who is um, making Ant-Man um, for Marvel Studios. Mm-hmm. He obviously made, was it Shaun of the Dead? And, yeah. Yep. and um, uh, the, Scott Pilgrim. The End of the World or something like that. Um, the yeah, world's the end world's yeah. end one, one of the po- apocalypse movies that came out the comedy ones yeah paul rudd is uh gonna be an ant-man and so he was uh tweeting about um how he watched anchorman 2 in the u.s and the uk and he tweeted that um the uk version was uh dirtier like had more dirty jokes right which is interesting if they've released slightly different versions for different countries, you know, if they've put in all the Aussie stuff for the Australian audiences or something, you know, if that Catch Allenby character is much smaller in the US markets or something, I'd be very intrigued to to know that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, look, I I tweeted the the thread from Reddit. Uh, So if you go to www.podmeifyoucan.com, you can find both Lloyd and my Twitters. Uh, I tweeted that link, so if you're interested in seeing it, any of the Reddit users' comments about Brick being a time traveller, that's where you can find that. Um, Lloyd, this is episode 78, so we'll probably have some more after Christmas. Yeah, definitely. You guys have a and, Merry Christmas, guys. <laughs> and uh, fantastic 2014, everyone. Thanks yeah. for listening to our podcast. As I said, www.podmeifyoucan.com for all uh, episodes you might have missed. And uh, we've recently done an upcoming films episode where we talk about the films we're looking forward to in uh, 2014 and beyond so uh and one more plug for um our facebook page where you can drop us uh recommendations like adam did and um get podcasts like the one you've just listened to uh lloyd looking forward to 2014 and more pod me if you canning i can't wait it's going to be awesome thanks everybody for listening and uh have a great new year all the best guys have a merry christmas and a happy new year